Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Well, we'll get into God's Word this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, if you could please turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Who's ready for the Word of God today? 2 Samuel chapter 6. I have never preached from this passage ever, uh, but today's the day. Let's give it a go. You can judge me at the end. <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Take note of that. Uh, what's about to happen here is not small. 30,000 people It's a lot of people. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God. So the whole purpose is, these 30,000 people is that they're bringing, David's intention is that they would bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Verse three says, so they set the ark of God on a new cart. Now, those of you who are students of the Word, you would know, and that's not what today's sermon's about, but I just need to make a disclaimer, and that is uh, God gave very clear instructions on how the ark was to be moved, and it was not to be moved on a new Tesla, but they chose to do it anyway. And that's not what today's sermon's about. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, and Uzzah, some say Uzzah, And Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, any 80s Pentecostal tambourine players out there? Come on, I know that you exist. <laughs> they were good days. <laughs> Tambourines, castanets, and Jared Batson, cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, here we go, put out his hand to the ark of God, took a hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God. An encouraging passage. (laughs) Let me read over you 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide faith, hope, come on, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I want to talk to you first up this morning about the love of God, and then we'll get into this passage. How many of you know this morning that God's love knows no bounds? Christianity is unlike any other, I'll use the word religion, in that 
It's not because of what we do that causes our God to be pleased with us or love us. Christianity is a choice from a God who says, I will love you not because of what you've done, but because of His character for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Of course, we know the verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His love for us in this, whilst we were sinners, not because of what we did, whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we see God's relentless, loyal love arrive in Jesus Christ. We read the verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, abide in faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And when you think about it, Faith is phenomenal. Hope is amazing. But the Word of God says the greatest is, come on church, is love. Because faith at some point comes to an end. Because while we have no sight, we need faith. But one day we will have sight and we will see Him face to face. And faith is therefore no longer required. So is hope. We hope for His return. We long for His return. One day that hope, the coming of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled. Hope will no longer be required. However, love is eternal. This relationship that we have with our God will continue for eternity. The greatest of these is love. His love is enduring. It's sacrificial and it's unconditional. In fact, we could say that the Bible, the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a book of love. And in our finite thinking, we try to comprehend something that we could say is incomprehensible, but we do our best. We look to the life of Jesus Christ. We look to His sacrifice and we see this incredible, extravagant love that a sinner like me, that God would lay down His life for me, that He would give Himself as a sacrifice on a cross so that He could bring me to Himself and be restored to a relationship, a beautiful relationship with our Heavenly Father, we call it Extravagant love, by definition, when you actually look at the word extravagant, it's something that's unreasonable, something that is exceeding, something that you could say is appropriate. In fact, one definition of extravagance is absurd. But that's the kind of love that God chose to pour upon our lives. He is a loving God. God just doesn't act Uh, in terms of acts of love, the Bible says that God is love. And this love that we have, this loving relationship that we have with our Father, we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in this place of a God who's out to strike you dead (laughs) or the building's about to collapse because you walked into this place. There is no fear in love, 
but perfect love, perfect love. Come on church, perfect love casts out all fear. You are loved by God. He loves you so much. And if you doubt the love of God, if you doubt that He cares for you, the fact is it has already been demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. We love Him because He first loved us. First love then is not the love that we have for God. First love then is a revelation of the love that God has for us. We love Him because He first loved us. You cannot outrun the love of God. You cannot move away from the love of God. In fact, the love of God is a relentless pursuit. And in fact, when we came to a place in our lives where each of us opened up our hearts to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, it's not that you were pursuing God. It's that the Creator of the universe was in fact pursuing you. And you opened up your heart, not because you pursued truth, but because truth and freedom and love was pursuing you. That is the love of our amazing God. When the Old Testament writers tried to figure out ways of explaining this absurd extravagance, excuse me, extravagant love, one of the verses that I think about is in the book of Psalms where the writer of the Psalms says, as far as the east is from the west so far, He has removed our transgressions from us. Question then being, how far is the east from the west? Well, the truth is, east from the west is eternal. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. This is the God that we serve today. He is a God of love. And He chose you and He brought you to Himself. And my encouragement to you today is to find security in the love of God, even when we make mistakes, even when we get a little bit angry at the driver in front of us, even when things don't go well in life, we need to find security in the love of our God. The story that we read this morning is a story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant had been separated from the people of God for approximately 100 years. The Philistines, in fact, captured the Ark, took it to uh, their territory. Uh, All kinds of things broke out. And so the Philistines sent it on a cart back to Israel. They didn't want anything to do with it. Abinadab picks it up and Abinadab keeps it in his house for about 20 years. Eventually, when David comes to power, one of the key things in his leadership is he knew that the ark of God needed to be in Jerusalem. Eventually, of course, as the temple was built, it would dwell in the Holy of Holies. Uh, This was no small feat. 
We read earlier that the Bible says that 30,000 people went to collect the ark. And in fact, again, in verse three, it says they set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Now, I want you to notice how this is all set up. A man by the name of Uzzah and Ahio, who are the sons of Abinadab, they drove the new cart. That is, they were in charge of this ark, the presence of God, symbolic of the presence of God, moving from one location to another. Now, imagine the atmosphere. The atmosphere is kind of incredible because we read earlier in verse five, it says that David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments. Now that, you think about 30,000 people singing, 30,000 people dancing. And in fact, this story is also in 1 Chronicles 13. And interestingly, in 1 Chronicles 13, when it tells this story, it says that they were dancing with all of their might. Now, people can dance, but when you dance with all of your might, I mean, you, you've got it happening. <laughs> and these people, they, th- this was exciting. This was huge. That the Ark of the Covenant, which belonged to Israel, a promise from God, and the Bible tells us something. The Bible tells us in verse six that as they were transporting the ark, that the oxen stumbled. Now we don't know why the oxen stumbled. You could assume that perhaps there was a rock of some sort and as the ark went over this huge rock, you know, it started to kind of tip. Um, Maybe there was a huge hole in the ground and Right before the two sons, Uzzah and Ahio, uh, the Ark of the Covenant starts to fall. Now, Uzzah, (laughs) he obviously sees this unfold and he makes a decision. That decision, of course, is um, I need to steady this thing because if I don't steady it, the Ark of the Covenant Watch this, is going to fall to the ground. Now, in this moment, Uzzah realises, I either stabilise or this thing plummets. Now, let's explore Uzzah's motivation for a second. Now, his motivation was not impure. It was a good motivation. Protect the ark. Don't let it fall to the ground. Uh, you could say it was somewhat noble. It, it was a virtuous deed. Perhaps it even was a reflex. Uh, this morning, I, I got my coffee at 6.30 a.m. Uh, at Seventh Heaven here in Sutherland, and this husband and wife came, and uh, she went to pass him his coffee. He was talking to Matthew, uh, you know, the biggest shark supporter, in the Sutherland Shire, how's it going good? And um, he was there and they almost dropped the coffee and, 
And this lady, I watched this kind of this reflex action to don't drop your coffee in the morning. That's a terrible thing. Somebody help me this morning and say amen. (laughs) So perhaps for Uzzah, maybe it was a reflex action. If I grabbed my iPad and threw it to the front row, guarantee the front row are not going to spend the next three minutes thinking, should I? Shouldn't I? We all would respond with a reflex action either to knock it out of the way or to catch it. And I just wonder for Uzzah, was this a reflex action to try and steady something that is critical and important to the children of Israel? Now, Uzzah, we know, makes a decision. And that decision is, I will steady the ark. And he places his hand, or hands, we don't know, and he chooses to stop the ark from falling to the earth. And then one of the strange things of the Bible happens, and it says that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. He was struck by God, And there, Uzzah died. All for stabilising the ark. Now, if I was God, (laughs) I would have said, thank you, Uzzah, you helped stabilise the ark. But we see a rather strange story and in some ways difficult to understand. Why would God cause a man to die who all he was doing was stabilising something from falling to the earth. The choice being either the ark falls again or I stabilise. And Uzzah finds himself in a position, stay with me now church, we're going to land. Is it better, here's the question, is it better for the ark to fall to the earth rather than for any person to stand in between. And Uzzah is symbolic of the person who stood as an intermediary between God and the earth. And he acted in that moment as a mediator between the presence of God and the earth. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator, mediator, excuse me, between God and man. That man is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one. Even if the ark fell to the ground, the whole purpose of the presence of God was that it would touch the earth. Uzzah finds himself as the middleman, determining whether the presence of God should touch the earth or I'm going to stop it. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, there's a terrific verse which says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, watch this, and our hands have handled. The presence of God 
is meant to be felt by the people of God. The presence of God is meant to flourish and to fill and to touch the earth. Uzzah symbolises the person who stands in between the presence of God and the earth and says, and makes a judgment call, you're in, you're out. You qualify, you're unqualified. You look the part, you don't. You appear to be righteous, you don't. You're welcome in, you're not. You've made less mistakes than him, so you're welcome in, you're out. You've got it together. You're welcome in, you're divorced, you're out. The amazing thing about the presence of God is that the presence of God is for all. Uzzah made the mistake of thinking that he could determine whether that thing should fall or not. As if the Almighty God can't take care of His presence. Romans chapter 9 verse 15 says, For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. It's interesting to note in the body of Christ, and really, for many of us, we could apply this at times where we've seen it. Maybe we've acted it out where perhaps as the people of God We've acted like Uzzah. We've determined who should receive the presence of God and who shouldn't. And right throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see this. We see the children coming and the children wanting to experience the presence of Jesus and the disciples, the Bible says, got angry. Why would you let children come to the Master? Jesus rebukes them and says, let the little children come and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We see lepers, we see prostitutes, we see all kinds of broken people. We see the religious spirit judging Jesus because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And they in that moment acted like Uzzah and said, you're out, uh, maybe you're in, but..." Who would sit with those kinds of people? And the spirit of Uzzah penetrates, penetrates religion to make a decision to determine who's qualified and who is unqualified. I acted like Uzzah once. When I was in my early 20s, youth group, love youth group by the way. We had a youth group that was kind of real revival in nature. Just praise God, rich with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was one bent in the youth ministry though that I didn't like. Uh, I wasn't the youth pastor at the time, I, I was part of the team. And we had this whole real focus on, on living righteously, which love, praise God, all for that. but. It went to this extreme that if you sinned, uh, the, the level of repentance that was required, it's almost like you may as well walk seven kilometres over glass just so that God can kind of be pleased with you again. We had this culture 
Uh, we would listen to material that promoted that, real, real law-based Christianity, sinners in the hands of an angry God. What I watched in that culture was definite hunger, definite passion, but not a lot of grace and not a lot of mercy. Well, one of my close friends, whom in fact, I led to the Lord and he was uh, at a youth camp. I invited him to our youth camp. Uh, may as well just go all out for Jesus, come to the youth camp, have an encounter with God. And he, he did, he had an encounter with God. And over time, he, he was going through the process of, of sanctification. Uh, he had come from a non-Christian background, but this culture in our youth ministry was so, you know, devil destroyers don't eat. <laughs> Fasting and prayer and, and praise God, amazing, I loved it. But as he went through his process of, of sanctification and God setting him free from certain things, he kind of made a, a big boo-boo, you know, and, um, and, and was really struggling with a particular sin. Well, this unkind culture that we had, this oozer culture, we had an environment where he really needs to pay for his sin and, and, and he's got a, we had this culture where a young person would almost be isolated, repenting, trying to figure it out for themselves, not realising that the Word of God says, that it's actually the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. He didn't need isolation. He needed love. He needed care. He needed compassion. He needed mercy. Church, I'm sorry to tell you, but I was in that group. I was one of those young men that isolated him because he sinned and he sinned bad and he needed to work it out between Him and God, and then reunite with everyone else when it was all sorted. I watched that friend of mine, slowly but surely, become more and more isolated. And how many of you know that one of Satan's great strategies is isolation? Isolation, isolation, isolation. And why is it in the body of Christ that when people make mistakes, we isolate them. Rather than putting our arms around and saying, brother, we love you, sister, we love you. God is merciful, He cares for you. Well, I watched him break and then I watched his confidence just, boom, just, just hit the floor. But hey, that's all part of the repentance process. He ended up, graduating from uni, uh, would pop into church periodically and moved overseas and uh, later said to me that um, he was just so broken, it actually got to the point where he didn't even know if God loved him. <laughs> and we sat down when he came back and again, early 20s and, and he said to me, he goes, Brad, we, we were friends. Why did you treat me like that? My response was, 
I was in an atmosphere, I was in a culture where that was normal. That was how things played out. You only know what you know. Then later, when you go through some of your own valleys, right? Come on church. When you go through some of your own pain, when you go through some of your own brokenness, when you're on, when you're on your belly yourself with a bit of blood just saying, God, just help me here. You realise that's not how people are to be treated. I repented in front of Him and I asked for forgiveness because I on that day was Uzzah and I made a decision to steady the ark because that is not worthy of the presence of God. My relationship with Him to this day, well, I have to be honest with you, church, it's, it's not the same. Uh, I pray for a godly and, and healthy and complete restoration. Uh, I really do. Uh, he's doing well, married, children, serving Jesus with, with all of His heart and, and uh, loving the Lord. But I think the older you, you, and as you walk in the call and in the purposes of God, you realise what we need and what this generation needs is not oozes to say, uh, you're welcome. What, you've been divorced three times? Whew, we, we gotta go through some heavy processes here before the Lord accepts you. And Uzzah stands in between and makes a judgment call, I'll steady, because that's not worthy. And we as the church, as the body of Christ, need to realise it's not our job to determine who's in and who's out. Our job as the people of God, our job as followers of Jesus Christ is love, mercy and compassion. Now you may say to me, well, that's ignoring truth. Of course I'm not ignoring truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But what is the truth? The truth is you are loved, you are forgiven, you have a destiny, you have a plan. Because this is what I've come to discover. We all make mistakes. We all fail. But thank God for His mercy and His grace. My prayer today and my hope is that if there are people that are here today who over the course of your walk with the Lord, where you've encountered a Uzzah, maybe you've had three or four in your journey. You're in and you're out. And who've withheld the presence of God from you because they counted that to be unworthy. My prayer for you is that today, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and by the mercy of our God and the restoration of our God, that you would find comfort and healing in this place. Because as human beings, yes, we make mistakes. As human beings, we don't always get it right. Sometimes I've been in environments in churches where there are cultural norms and they bring cultural norms as in a person's background, a person's culture, and they bring that stuff into the Kingdom of God and it's wrong and it has to stop. 
stop because the church is a church of mercy. The church is a church of forgiveness. The church is a church of grace and compassion and love. We love Him because He first loved us. If you've been hurt in that way and could have been a family member, someone in authority, a group of friends, I wanna ask you for forgiveness today. To say to you, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. But I do have an encouragement for you that there is hope in the presence of God because David freaked out after Uzzah died and he's like, I'm not touching this thing. And the ark ended up in the house of Obed-Edom and Obed-Edom, the Bible says, he was like crazy blessed for three months. (laughs) There's blessing for you today. There's freedom for you today. There's hope for you today. Galatians chapter six, verse one. I'm feeling emotional today. Dear brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Believers. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, now this, this is the part I actually, I could preach a few things from that passage, but this is the part I wanna, oh, sorry, my nose is leaking. Oh, excuse me. Considering yourself, here we go, lest you also be tempted. Here's, here's the 80s and 90s misunderstanding of that verse. Don't get too close to the sin, considering yourself, because you'll also get tempted. Wrong. When the Bible says, restore in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do you know what the temptation is? You coming in as the superior person that I'm better than you. Guess what you've done? You've acted like Uzzah. There I go, but by the, or but for the grace of God, the grace of God. How wonderful is the love of God. How rich and pure. Come on, some of you know the hymn. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong. It shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.